It was in September that uh, we were meeting with Dave Van Boven uh, as an elders board, and he suggested, and we were in agreement, that we ought to uh, preach and teach from the book of John. Uh, And October, November, December, January, February, March, April, seven months ago. And I think it was in December, I started looking at the calendar and I'm going, wow, God, you're amazing because you're working our walk through the book of John to coincide with when Easter falls in the spring. And uh, I looked at the calendar and I thought, wow, Easter is late this year. It's April 16th. And where will we be in John? And lo and behold, here we are uh, in the Easter season, in the Easter story of Jesus' last days on earth, last hours on earth. Hi. Got me? Yep. The John 12, 12, as Peter was saying this morning when we started our worship, is where Jesus is at the feast of the Passover. Uh, it is merely a week before he is going to be crucified and sacrificed and uh, that would be Palm Sunday when uh, we would celebrate his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. In John 13, 14, 15, and 16 we, we have the Last Supper and a, a long discourse or sermon of Jesus telling his disciples many important things. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, One of the most profound statements that he's made to them. And they begin to understand. And uh, they they do believe who he is and why he was sent. They were... Very likely and possibly, other than a handful of others, uh, the only people on earth that believed him. But he stayed the course. He knew why he was sent. And as he and the disciples leave the Last Supper and head to a place to rest for the night... Jesus concludes this long sermon with a prayer. It's the Lord Christ's prayer. 
I can tell you honestly, in times in my life, I have read this chapter and literally wept. And it's, it's a, a prayer of such compassion and love. I just think it's, it's ironic and it's a blessing to me that the way this whole seven months is working out that I'm the lucky one. I'm the one that gets to share John 17 with you all. And I hope you leave this morning with a new profound understanding of what Jesus' purpose was and is and how that fits into your purpose and Kingwood Bible Church's purpose. There's, I've always, you know, God, what do you want me to do? What am I supposed to do with my life? How am I supposed to, to be in the world and yet love you and serve and love everyone else? Everyone? Even the people I don't like? How do I do that? But, you know... This is, this is a, it's just a blessing to me. Thank you for allowing and honoring me in, in being able to, to do this. Uh, John 17, I'm going to read from the New International Version. It's on page 765 in the Bibles that we have in our pews. You recall in John 16, his conclusion in verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may find and have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. After this, Jesus said this. He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in the presence, in your presence, with the glory I had with you before the world began. There's a lot of profound theology in that. But think about this. This prayer that Jesus offers is at the eve of his trial, his passion and his crucifixion. In just hours before daybreak, uh, 
They'll be in the garden or in an olive grove. We believe it was at Gethsemane. And it's where he will be arrested. It's at the eve of his trial, passion, and crucifixion in the presence of his disciples that he gives this prayer. It's a prayer after the sermons, as I said, that he's preached since the Last Supper. It's a great example of Jesus' intercession for us. Now, I love words. You know I love words, and I'm going to give you those words today that I looked up because we use these words, and we often don't, we just blow right through them. You know, we don't know their real meaning. But intercession, it's a noun. It's the action of intervening on behalf of another. It's an act of saying a prayer on behalf of another person. So yesterday morning, I'm here in the office, and I'm typing up these notes, and some of our ladies begin to arrive, and they go to the fireside room, and they pray. Amen, 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 amen. The fact is, they are interceding. They are intercessors. They are acting out in their prayer. They're saying that prayer on behalf of everyone here and everyone that's not here and all of those that are far away in other locations. But they are faithful. And in their prayer and prayers, they intercede for us they put themselves in, in a gap, in a position where they pray to God and we're out there and they're, they're sending these petitions to the Lord. So thank you, ladies. Thank you for your faithfulness. You know who you are. I don't know all of you, but we have got a mighty, mighty band of prayer warriors, and I'm so grateful for that. The hour of Jesus' glorification through death is fast approaching. It occurred to me, what would I do or what would you do if you knew the hour, the day, or the manner of your own death? Jesus knew. He knew beyond the shadow of a doubt what was going to happen. It had been prophesied. It had been foretold. It was all unfolding. He was absolutely dutiful. He was uh, going to follow this through to the very end to finish the work that his father had sent him to complete. And I I I was overcome with, well, what if I knew that Next Saturday at 11 o'clock, I'd be walking out of Safeway and somebody would attack me and beat me up and I would die. Would I, would I avoid going to Safeway? 
If I knew that, would I grab my wife and say, let's get out of town for a few days and get away from what's going to happen? What was going to happen to Jesus was inescapable. But he knew it. And steadfastly, he, he went straight to the finish. In verse 1, he says, Glorify the Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. Jesus prays that by completing the act of redemption, which will secure man's salvation, glory will come to both the Father and himself. You see, the reason he was doing this was to complete an act of redemption to secure our salvation. That's the reason he was doing this. The eternal life is made possible through the mutual glorification defined, defined to us as we know God through the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus manifested the Father's name to the disciples, and they recognized that the source of his teaching is from above and his mission originated with the Father. It wasn't his idea. It was always the Lord's idea. And it always had that purpose. Verse 6. I have revealed to you, to those whom you have given me out of the world... They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew that certainly that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I prayed for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None of them have been lost except the one doomed to destruction so the scripture could be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, and I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My father is not, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them, the truth, by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified.
glory, glorified, sanctify, sanctification. What do these words mean? Well, I thought glory means honor, but I better look it up. In fact, glory means to praise and worship of God, describe or represent an admirable trait, uh, exalt, honor, acclaim, hail. And to sanctify means to set apart or to declare as holy, to it constitutes purity. It means to bless or make holy. Sanctification is the act of us properly functioning. To sanctify someone is to set that person apart for the use intended by the designer. And saint means sanctified one. So Kingwood Bible Church... Each of you is sanctified, just as the disciples were sanctified. You are set apart. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are glorifying the Father through your life. You might not always feel like you are, but you are. And the fact is, you're set apart. You ever wonder why it's different for you or, or members of your family that are also sanctified? That wh- Why? Why? Well, the evil in the world doesn't love you, doesn't recognize that sanctification, doesn't want to uh, bless you or have you glorify the Lord or, or share that love that you have for God. But you are set apart. If Please, just believe it. Just believe it. It's through faith and the belief in that that you know God. Jesus pleads for the unity of himself and the Father on the grounds that the disciples uh, assuredly belong to God. Jesus is glorified by their faith. You glorify Jesus by your faith. Jesus must go to the Father while they continue in the world, while we continue in the world. He prays that they may be kept from evil. He prays that you be kept from evil. That there be unity that may reflect, be reflected the same as it exists between the Father and the Son. They're individual, but they are one. They are unified in their spirit. As I was studying this this week and the uh, events of the week, uh, the elders board met with Nathan on Wednesday and... The unity, the oneness that exists, not only from the members of the selection committee, but then the elders board, and then this young man and his wife, 
the references that we contacted and talked to, the unity of this, it is undeniable. This is God at work. What a blessing for me and for those that have participated in this process. Thank you for allowing us to do this and being patient enough. Now, like I said earlier, it's not done yet. But we're going to have an opportunity. You'll have the opportunity to meet Nathan. You'll have the opportunity to talk to him. You'll have the opportunity to learn what he, a little about how he is and, and what he believes. And then the week of the 30th, that Sunday, April 30th, a congregational meeting will take place, and you'll vote where it requires a two-thirds majority to actually give him, we're in agreement, we are calling you, come, come, and then he makes his decision. It's a process. So don't stop praying and don't stop believing that, that and trusting God in this whole process. So we're in the world. The disciples were in the world. Jesus is leaving the world. But he's joyful. He's joyful. He's going to get crucified. And he's joyful. He's going home. He's going home to his father. Now I can tell you, I've been in the presence of, in my life, of three people that were dying. I mean, literally, within moments of of my being in their presence or literally in their presence, they passed away. I was sad. I was hurting. But you know what? These people were saved. And what a joy they must be feeling at that moment when they go to the Father. It's hard to imagine, but Jesus had that joy. And somehow the disciples picked up on it because they knew suddenly, suddenly, that his mission was complete. He prays that they don't leave the world because, you know what, they still had a purpose. They have a a God-given divine purpose. You have a God-given divine purpose. You do, Terry, you do. I see you. You don't see me sometimes in this neighborhood, but I see you at the neighbor's house doing their yard work. Don't you? I know you do. And God knows you do. And that person that you're helping knows you do. And the fact is, you all are doing that. And you're here, still in this world, for a divine purpose. So don't pray for your departure or for your removal. That time will come. God knows when it'll be. The thing you need to do while you're here... Fulfilling that divine purpose is pray, God, protect me from the evil of the world. The world is filled with evil. 
There's evil everywhere. It's in foreign countries. It's right here in America. It's right here in our neighborhood. I pray every day for this church that it and you, who are the church, are protected from the evil of the world. The disciples are to remain to fulfill the mission. We're here to fulfill the mission. Jesus consecrates. In other words, he sanctifies himself in this sacrificial death that lies ahead. A death that likewise ensures our sanctification. If he hadn't done this, we could not be sanctified. We could not be consecrated. We could not be made holy. We could not glorify God if Jesus had not done this. This was one of his expressed purposes to glorify the Father and to, through his obedience, sanctify all the believers that would ever follow. It just wasn't for these 12 or 11. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and I, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as, I have, as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and they continue to make you known to, in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Sounds a little confusing and redundant sometimes, but Jesus is trying to make a point, and it's a point that you need to remember. It's taken me all my life to learn it, right up to, even to this week. And, it, and it's really about this oneness and, and purpose. Jesus extends his prayer here at the end of this chapter to include all of us that become followers through the effective labors of disciples. He prays again for their unity. It's a spiritual unity. The believer realizes the love of the Father to the Son 
uniting all into the perfection of unity. The world has not known the Father, but Jesus has revealed the Father to the disciples. In closing, Jesus prays that they may share the same love that the Father has for his beloved Son. Jesus offers you life. If you accept it, your heart will receive it, the life, in humility, faith, and obedience sent from the Father. Reject the offer of life? You're only left to your own destruction. The world is left to its own destruction. The world is left to its own destruction if they reject the life that Jesus Christ offers through the Father. Sometimes I feel like I just want to get on a street corner. I know it sounds crazy, and I just want to walk up to somebody and start telling them this stuff. Because if they don't know it, they are left to their own destruction. They don't care. They don't know. They're totally deceived. They don't know the truth. And the truth is God's word that sets us apart. And understand something. You've got to work on making yourself holy, prepared, trying to prepare yourself to be holy. That's necessary to enter into the presence of God, to be used by God. Get, get on your knees, sit down at your desk or your kitchen table, and just pray for yourself to die to itself and to be filled with the Holy Spirit and with the love of God. And then maybe for a few minutes or a few hours or a few days, depending on, on all that's going on in your life, you can be used of God. There's no doubt about it. To, to your own spouse, to your own family, to your children, to your grandchildren, to your neighbor, to a co-worker. you got to be bold. You can't just set your, your teeth and, and never speak it or never share it. I want to spend a few minutes on the takeaways that I, I derive from, from this. To glorify God the Father on earth was Jesus' expressed purpose. It bears repeating. To glorify God the Father on earth was Jesus' expressed purpose. To make God known to the people of earth was Jesus' express purpose. God has always been here. Jesus has always been here. Scientists would tell you it happened a billion, trillion, godzillion years ago, and it was all started with a pop or a bang or, 
a whimper. I don't know. But you, you know what? It doesn't matter. It, to me personally, it's interesting. To scientists, it's their whole life. They devote themselves to it. But the fact is, I don't know the answers. And I don't need to know the answers to that. And sometimes I thought, well, God, when I get to heaven, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to ask you all these darn questions that I couldn't even understand the answers to, let alone find the answers while I was alive as a human being. And you know what? I am certain I've, I, won't even ask, I won't even ask the questions. You know, and I believe I won't because there's so much glory in heaven to overwhelm you and to participate in and to swim in and to be a part of, to be part of the heavenly choir, to walk there, to to know that God is there and the Son is there and all the saints are there. Those that have gone before you, those that will follow after you. But the world does not know God. The Jews thought they had a maybe a monopoly or a franchise or they were because they were chosen. They're, they're the ones that they're the only ones that could know God. You know, they went around to the to the Greeks and to the, the Babylonians and to the Assyrians and to the Egyptians and all the other great nations of, of uh, ancient times. And they were all worshiping something. Ra. Allah. Are they God? What, what name? What name? Would you put on God? The fact is, none of those names evoke the real meaning and the real knowledge of who God is and why God is and why we are. God made all of this and after he made all of it, he said, it's good. It's great. It's wonderful. But you know what? I'm not happy. God wasn't happy. So he made man. He made you, Richard. He made you, Bill. David, he made you. He made man. And then because he saw man was lonely, he made man a helpmeet. A woman. Thank God for women. Can any man say amen? Hey, do. I do. Amen. Yes. And the fact is, right away, almost right away, it might have been a thousand years, it might have been, I don't know how long, doesn't even say, but man sinned. And evil entered in. And from that moment on, the true God of the universe put into work a plan 
to bring man and woman back to him, to redeem them, to bring them back, to call them back in. So, Jesus meant to make known the Father, God the Father, to live, make, and leave a favorable impression or opinion of his Father with his disciples. His life clearly did that. He glorified the Father, displaying on earth the splendor of a wondrously favorable impression of the Father. Jesus explained how he glorified God How do you glorify God? Here's the answer. He finished the work. It's right here in this chapter. He finished the work the Father gave him to do. To glorify God then is to do the things he has called, chosen, appointed, and anointed us to do. He just didn't do it for Jesus. He just didn't do it so that Jesus could finish the work and say, okay, that's all done. He passed it on to the disciples and then the disciples on to others. And it's been going on that way for 2,000 plus years. And each of you is called, chosen, appointed, and anointed to do something. Do it. I love that simple thing that the people at Nike came up with. Just do it. Simple. Difficult. Another takeaway is this miracle of unity. I've always been confused about how, how can it be that way? How can God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Comforter the Holy Spirit, how can they be one? How can they all just, you know, and I've heard all kinds of preaching on, oh, it's, it's like an egg. You got the shell, you got the white, you got the yolk, you see? And they're all individual, but they're all together as one. You know, I think that's one of the stupidest examples I've ever heard in my life of what the Godhead is. God is God. He is God. Now, he's one with Jesus in other words, unified, unified, same-minded, same-hearted, same-thinking, same, same, same. He's unified with Jesus, and he's unified with the Comforter. They are only one in their thought, their purpose, their love, the action, everything that manifests out of them. And you can be part of that one. We are all part of that one. We as a church, Kingwood Bible Church, can be one. But we're still individuals. Don't think you give up your individualism. Jesus prays for the oneness with his disciples as he and his father have shared. Jesus and the father have the same purpose, plan, and power. Jesus often reminds us that he came not to do his own will, but his Father's will. 
Likewise, our unity is dependent on sharing the priority of seeking and doing the Lord's will. His desire for us is to reach those who do not know him so that they too may become one with us and others who have accepted him into their lives. The equation is profound. Here's one for you, Dave. I did this thinking of you, my my mathematician friend. One plus one plus one equals one. (laughs) Pretty confounding, huh? Christ, one. Ourselves, one. Others, another. One equals one. It is Christ in our brother or sister who reaches out to the Christ in us. How many times has this happened to you in your life? And it doesn't even happen to be somebody that's here in this body. It can be somebody that you just met or somebody that you've known from school. But there's what is it in them that attracts you? And what is it in you that attracts them? It's the oneness of Christ and the Holy Spirit working as one within you and them. It's what reaches out to us and reaches out to them. It's the Jesus in you. It's indwelling. It's called indwelling. I never, you know, do... Okay, he's... The space right here. No, maybe I'll make it the space right here. No. It's all throughout you. It is within your soul. It is within your being. Now here comes the great part. Jesus expresses the ultimate purpose of revival. John 17, 4. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Revival. To glorify God the Father on earth as Jesus did in his express purpose. To prepare for and live in revival. It is imperative that we possess the desire to glorify God. So let me ask you a question. Do you, do you possess the desire to glorify God? And remember what the definition was, to honor. See, honor, acclaim, hail, exalt, represent as admirable. Do we possess the desire to glorify God? I'm believing that we do. God won't share his glory with another. Isaiah says that in chapter 42 of Isaiah. But to and through those who are consumed with a passion to know God and give all the glory to him. God will manifest the glory of his person, his power, and his presence. Glorifying God is the Holy Spirit's intent of the revival of a revival, or in revival. As churches are revived, neighborhoods and cities are transformed, 
by the mighty workings of the Holy Spirit, all the glory is given back to the Father. We don't do this for us. I hope you understand that. I hope you believe that. What we're going through as a church, it isn't for us. It really isn't. It's for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. Now, you, you might not feel that. You might not see that. But I want you to believe it. I want you to start believing it. And I want you to start claiming it. And I want you to start living on that promise. It's going to be important. It's profoundly struck me this week as I studied this that this is so much God at work that we have a a chance to have a new pastor here that's going to shepherd us and lead us and teach us and minister to us and work with us for the glory of God. And you know what that's going to do? That's going to start the revival. And that's what's going to take this church from what it is now and make it what God wants it to be for his glory. We're a community of disciples, Kingwood Bible Church. We're indwelt with God's life, light, and love. Each of us witnesses about the Father regarding the Son by the Spirit in our words and our deeds. And we continue to bear witness just as Jesus did to the very last breath he took on earth. And as he does today, because he isn't dead, he is alive. As believers, we are to embody the love of God and thereby provide living proof of the gracious character of God. And that's God's mercy, love, and truth. Embody love. Mercy, love, truth. The purpose of Jesus making God's name known to us is not that we would have information about God, but that we would have intimacy, as he says in verse 26, in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. All that we're studying here is not for information. It's very interesting. I do, I do remember it. I do put it away in my, my computer brain, and, and I remember things, and it is good information, and I do recall it when I need it. But the fact is, the thing it's doing is it's calling each of us individually to have that intimate relationship with God. And Jesus actually helps us receive this love within each one of ourselves and among ourselves as a community. And the beauty of it is, is Jesus. Jesus is glorified by your faith. You are hailing, acclaiming, glorifying, honoring God 
and Jesus Christ through your faith. And we remain in the world to complete God's mission. Amen. I think it's wonderful that we have guys like Gil Harder and Gary Bauman and Paul Tanner and and all of these other men and women that we recognize and support and serve. And they're doing a fabulous work. Just a fabulous work. But you know what? There's work to do right here on Elm Street. There's work to do on Ruge. There's work to do on 6th Street. There's work to do on Kingwood. There's work to do on McNary. And by God, give us the strength and the ability and the leadership and the energy and the love for you that we can glorify you in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead so that this church can be what you want it to be, God. Now, that's my prayer. I want it to be your prayer. So desperately, I want it to be your prayer. I'm not going to make it your prayer. I'm not going to make you have to pray that in order to do anything. But I want your heart to be so smitten by, by the thought that you, 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 you can glorify God through your life. By your faith. And how, how, how do you, that faith, it, it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be any larger than a seed of mustard. And when you think about how large that is, that's all the bigger your faith has to be. You don't have to be a Billy Graham or one of the other great Christian leaders of all time. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your plan of redemption for us. Lord, your your son, Jesus, shows us the way that we can know you and and how we can glorify you. Father, I pray that you use these words that I've shared this morning to... Open up hearts and that you reveal to us the great plan that you have for our future as individuals and as a church. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for sanctifying us, for setting us apart by all of your acts and actions, by loving us. I pray all this in your name. Amen.